0: Hi. Hello. Here we go. Oh, hi. I didn't see you come in.
1: Living in a scientific age, we need citizens who know enough about science to make intelligent decisions about what they do. We use science to, to prolong life, to increase security and happiness. But it can also be used for destruction.
0: we
1: going to use it constructively. It'll be up to you and you too. Hey Todd. Hello Mark. How are you? I'm well. Um I'm super excited about my amateur autopsy club that I go to. Oh wow nice how's it been going? Well you know this this last Wednesday was open mic night. <laughs>
0: That's pretty good. <laughs> and knowing that you came up with that joke in the 0. 0.5 seconds after you said, I don't got anything, is pretty impressive as well. I thought of I thought of a punchline. How did it go? I thought of a punchline that was math related, but wasn't smart enough to think of the joke. Okay. And now I can't remember the punchline either. It ended with rhythm. Some there's okay. something it's rhythm like, and it wasn't algorithm.
1: It was like uh why was four afraid of five? Because he was two squared. <laughs> Boom. It was, it didn't really work enough to be the lead joke. It was just a, <laughs> a follow up joke after open well, mic night. <laughs> well,
0: we didn't talk much before the show because the main thing I wanted to talk to you about was, uh, so I was at, uh, it was Brian the Unipiper kid's birthday on yes. Friday and uh, you guys have been a little under the weather because of some traveling, so we our, our paths didn't cross by the time I finally made it down uh, to Silverton after I was done with work. But uh, he, I got to see him open the gifts, oh. and I saw him got uh, open the gifts that you that you and Nick gave him. And mm. at first, I was like, "What is what is this play for? and like he explained it, and all of a sudden it clicked that I had been seeing this video going around of this place. So, why don't you explain?
1: So we visited Omega Mart, and Omega Mart is the uh, uh, the corporate headquarters really for Omega Mart, which are located. Is Omega Mart a real thing, or is it like the Quickie Mart from The Simpsons? It's like a Quickie Mart from The Simpsons. Okay, okay, okay. And so um, in this massive, massive, massive warehouse called Area 15 that has like 20 different businesses, uh, like 19 of which are little uh, boutique-y kind of places, and then half of this huge warehouse is one huge art installation institution Uh, put on by Meow Wolf, that um, they have, I believe, three installations now. One is in Santa Fe, where they originally had a big art thing, and uh, Las Vegas is the second one. There's a third one, I think. I don't know. But um, it is a massive art experience and... uh, hunt for uh, like a, like a mystery solving experience as well. So they say you (sighs) can can go through the whole thing in about two hours, or if you take part in the mystery that can add two or three hours to the experience. So you can be there for, for at least half a day and, and dive in as deep as you want to go. So on, on the surface level, you are going through an incredible labyrinth of very unique experiences with interesting engagements in each place. So there's music instruments and weird video things and little places you can go and little nooks and lights and and really interesting topography and multiple levels of stuff. And the whole thing starts in this convenience store called omega mart and the o of omega is an omega symbol and the mart the m is kind of stylized as well and so if you take away the omega and the m then you get mega art uh and the whole oh. thing is a big art you know the only
0: thing i had seen is some you know just some quick videos of that convenience or store, grocery store looking thing with the like the things that look like they're real products, but when you look closer and so I, I didn't even know that there was like a whole experience behind it. I
1: thought it was just like a wacky. Yeah. So the, something and I couldn't, the CEO of the company has disappeared and you have to find out why, what happened. Oh, wow. Right? Okay. And, and so there's computer terminals, uh, you scan your card, you get a card to do the whole thing. You scan the card at the computer terminal and it brings up you can kind of take notes and save things to your account and move things around and and uh, and so there's different characters involved and so one of the stations is like the marketing manager's desk and. She's got the whiteboard up with some notes and some papers on the thing, and the map over here, and and the computer that you can open up and and scan in and and see videos on the desktop, and then you watch the videos, and you're like, oh, she she actually has a video of the death of the thing taking the place and the move. and then you can kind of piece all the little stuff together, and parts of the art installation are part of the story, and and the. Ooze that is the chemical that. So it's kind of like blah, 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 blah.
0: an escape
1: room esque Scooby Doo mystery. It, yeah, exactly. And um, and so tons of clues, tons of little things to explore. And if you didn't want to take part in any of that, you could absolutely <clears throat> just experience all of the physicality, tactile, visual art experience of it's it sort of like an andy warhol
0: meets banksy meets scooby-doo
1: <laughs> yeah 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 that's that's pretty good incredible wow. incredibly well developed um you know clearly money behind it and and everything so the the like thumbnail sketch story is a group of artists in sedona new mexico started with a collective of art experiences and so they each had their own little thing and then Somebody knew J.R.R. Martin and J.R.R. Martin put some money behind it to do the thing. And then they're like, well, why don't we do a bigger thing and kind of think it through a little bit more? And that's what this Omega Mart experience became. So it's it's huge artists, lots of money behind it. And, uh, you know, and the place was fairly busy. And we were there on like a middle of a Tuesday. Okay, and this uh, is in Las Vegas? In Las Vegas. And every moment of it is like an Instagrammable moment. You know, everything is super right. visual. Yeah, I like, just,
0: the only thing I saw were the little,
1: those are like little quick TikToks of like, what open, is this product or Open whatever. the Open the freezer and walk into the freezer. And that's the Yeah, the, that's what yeah, I saw. Yeah, everybody sees that. So we walked into the freezer and you, you can also like go behind the shirts and that leads to a stairwell that goes up to the second floor and, uh, That's so uh, cool. So it's it like is, what you
0: wanted department stores
1: to be when you were a kid. Just oh, department stores like that were just so magical. Exactly. Exactly. And so every product in there is like a special Omega Mart product. And they've done a really fantastic job of like taking a 97 cent thing of Windex uh, from the Dollar Tree and plopping an Omega Mart legal, label on it and selling it to you for $9 and 97 cents. And I wonder what the legal, I guess there isn't because you're just selling a product that you bought already. Yeah. And, and they, well, I, sure I wondered that because, packaged, I mean, they didn't like buy it from Dollar Tree and, and, but they, they actually, well, because I
0: wondered one of the little things that you got Brian was like a little five hour energy drink, but it was like a different thing. And it was like, never sleep, you know, yeah, claw it, your eyes out. or yeah, whatever. It was like 97 hour energy.
1: And, and yeah,
0: yeah. And I wondered, I was like, wow, because there is, seemingly real liquid in there but there's no like there's nothing on the packaging to be like what is this for right. real and should you be you're like oh so i was just wondering about the little tiny legal issues like selling food that you've labeled over the pack the packaging
1: <laughs> but yeah that's super cool yeah it, it was uh definitely a a do see and um a doozy. A du- it was a doozy. <laughs> a doozy, uh, and it, it was uh, it was really good. It's about fifty bucks a person, so not not something you can do every day, uh, right? You know, but definitely if you're traveling to Las Vegas, you like the arts, those kind of things. Yeah. Well, and that's the other thing
0: I couldn't put together because thinking it was only like a kooky store, I was like, but they they
1: charge you fifty dollars to go in a little convenience store. But now that makes more sense. It's it's massive, and and it legitimately takes two to three hours to go through and see all of the rooms and, and uh, all the things. So Wow. Oh, that's super cool. Yeah. Um, I had something <laughs> else I forgot. It's all good. Okay.
0: Well, I only have a, a quick thing. Uh, so I, I moved recently, which I don't think I've said on the mm-hmm. show before, but now I'm over in West Lynn and... Going through that process of getting, making sure all the mail has been forwarded and all the people have been contacted and stuff like that, and I get a mag, I get a magazine in the mail, which is fine because I've been subscribing to Entertainment Weekly since boy, I think nineteen ninety four, maybe right, um, and I pick up the magazine and it's a People magazine, and I was like, oh, okay, and. I the a little tiny like unadorned white postcard with just plain text came that said Entertainment Weekly is no longer publishing. The remainder of your subscription will just now be People magazine. So I was both lamenting the fact that I mean, I I've been getting it this whole time, but for the last year or two, I haven't been really reading it for whatever reason. Kind of I'm kind of losing touch with pop culture. And I mean, entertainment weekly used to be like a legitimate journalistic news magazine like for the right. entertainment world like it was the top of the heap and then like then you had your people magazine then you had your like us weekly and you're in touch like there's the the ladder of reputability and over the last I'd say decade or so it's entertainment weekly moved up down to being the people magazine and like everything slid down like a notch so (laughs) um but now i'm legitimately just getting people magazine and i i was not expecting a sense of shame (laughs) like i i pulled the i pulled it out of my mailbox and i was like
1: hiding it (laughs) People? Yeah, and I was like, "Oh my
0: gosh!" This new mailman now thinks that I just get People Magazine. Like, People Magazine is perfect for waiting rooms and for things like that. Like, or like getting waiting for a haircut or something like that. But like now, I just feel it. Just, it was so funny to she me. She that get just in the that...
1: in the black wrapper, you know. So that... <laughs> just get it wrapped with a no, no, Playboy no, outer shell. <laughs> oh okay okay (laughs) at least it's not people magazine
0: (laughs) and it's funny because entertainment weekly had gone down to um only being a monthly magazine for the past year or so so that was funny because it was like entertainment weekly monthly (laughs) but that people magazine they're still churning out every week so every week i'm gonna have to (laughs) endure this (laughs) suburbanite shame of thinking that i just love the people puzzlers
1: <laughs> what is the people puzzler
0: people like they just have the little tiny word puzzles or whatever oh. but they do uh, people magazine does have a crossword and if you ever want to feel like super smart <laughs> go do the people magazine crossword we we just do the monday uh new york times Oh so. yeah. Oh that. I, yeah, it, it is. It is. It's like wizard of blank. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like, like you feel even more. Sh- it's just, nice. it's terrible. But anyway, well,
1: why don't we move on to some news? Yes. So the city of Portland will soon be the new owner of 82nd Avenue with improvements to follow and i saw this come out the other day and i was confused because yes. I, and because i'm like I'm pretty sure that who owns it now <laughs> you're right but steve has finally decided to sell 82nd avenue <laughs> so uh, apparently it's actually oregon route 213 and uh and so it's managed by the state but uh it's now being shifted over to the city so that the city can take care of it because the state isn't doing well. So uh, advocates call- have been calling for years for the city to take 82nd Avenue from the state and bring it up to city standards to reduce the number of crashes along the roadway. The road holds the unfortunate distinction of being one of the city's highest crash corridors. The city will take over seven miles of road stretching from North Killingsworth Street in the Cooley neighborhood to southeast Clatsop Street in the Lentz neighborhood. Transportation Bureau leaders plan to invest $80 million they received through the American Rescue Plan Act to improve the roadway under a new Building a Better 82nd initiative. The state has pledged an additional $70 million, and the city has promised $35 million. These dollars will go to add lighting, Make crossings saver, safer and repair pavement among other purposes.
0: I wonder if that the federal part of that, the American Rescue Plan, is that what kind of people call the build back better plan? I think so. Or is that I okay? Know, I don't know. Because they, I mean, they clearly were piggybacking on that with the building a better 80 seconds.
1: Yeah. And one of the things that they've been doing recently on the on the east side at least, uh, so when you've got a Left turn lane in the middle. That's in the two way turn bay. Call yeah. It, you know, um, they've been putting up these dividers. Right. Yes, at the... I
0: almost ran over one on the way to your house the other day. Yes. So maybe yeah. that's why. Like, I felt dumb. I'm like, oh, they're... I should have. Been, but maybe it's new, and that's why my they're brain... brand new. And okay. <laughs> and so they've
1: got these stanchions on the ground with these flimsy uh, plastic. Yeah, markers coming up and I've seen so many of those markers just flatly (laughs) run over or crazier and I've seen this at least five times personally. Somebody will come up to those markers and and choose to go into oncoming traffic, go around them to the left and then come back into and I've seen that multiple times in person and so they've decidedly Made things much more dangerous. Like, because people absolutely want to break the law and get into that left turn lane half a block back
0: because right, right. The,
1: the through lanes are full. And so I want to get into the left turn lane so I can make a left turn. So I will go into oncoming traffic and go around those little bumps so that i can make a left turn faster than if i waited for my turn uh and uh, uh, it, so it's crazy it's uh, i i get the intent but uh people will not uh adhere to i did intent. the
0: same thing i went um i took one of Colin's older brothers down to sacramento uh, about six months ago and was driving around there and it's it's so and we got there when it was dark and it's so funny too uh, my ex-wife pointed this out to me which i would never noticed before because i grew up in california where when you get onto the freeway they'll have like the interstate five or whatever and they'll have an arrow pointing but the arrow is at the bottom of the sign like right next to the to the ground pointing like go here or whatever and ours are raised way up and right. and so she's like how are you supposed to see that like unless you are the car right next to it because every car blocks where that thing is and like I've always noticed that but I was driving down one of the little side streets in Sacramento and accidentally going it was like I was actually going to 40 and it was like a 30 mile per hour or something like that and it was kind of raining and all of a sudden I hit what I thought was a curb because it was a curb in the middle of the street to do that same thing of like you, you have to wait and then go around the curve and into the thing. And I just hit that thing like 40 miles per hour. And it was terrifying. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, so, because yeah, I don't think those aren't very common to see those little. Th- usually, they're out for like construction or something like that. But it's usually not a traffic safety measure of any yep. kind. So, anyway, well, great news. The Sherwood Percussion Ensemble crowned world, uh, were crowned world champs in Ohio. So I found nice. about this because a lady uh, worked with that church in in the Sunday school, uh, who leads the Sunday school. Her son plays uh, tuba and the cymbals, and. I didn't know just percussion bands were a thing, let alone there were world champions. But you know, they—it was that story of like they just wanted to do their best or whatever, and like, oh wow, they they won a trip to the nationals or whatever, and they were just excited to go. And they ended up going there, and they ended up grabbing first place with a score of ninety-seven point one two five. It's the fourth highest score awarded in the history of the competition in their class, and the highest finished ever accomplished by a team from the Pacific Northwest. Nicole Brutowski, who is the lady that I know who has an amazing last name that I've always loved, Brutowski, Brutowski, uh, a Sherwood fan, Booster Parent, and Invent Chaperone was ecstatic with the result. This was the first time we had ever competed at this level. We just really wanted to go in and give our best showing. So yeah, I didn't know the percussion. And then I watched it, and part of the percussion were the big, I don't know if they're called marimbas, but they're like the giant xylophone yeah. things or whatever the wooden ones yeah, yeah yeah those are considered percussion oh yeah and even a piano is technically considered considered mm. percussion because there's hammers on do a thing days, and it yeah. presses a hammer and does that so so yeah kudos to the sherwood percussion ensemble who are now the world champs in uh percussion so nice very exciting
1: Well, good news. Tannisborne Village (laughs) will be the home of Oregon's first Jollibee, the Philippines-founded fast food brand. The fast food joint, whose mascot is a bright red smiling bee, is best known for Chicken Joy, its signature fried bird that is hand-breaded for a crispy outside and a secret marinade that contributes to a juicy interior. Although uh, another popular menu item is the spaghetti topped with sweet sauce, and loaded with triple protein that would make Guy Fieri proud. Chunks of ham, ground meat, and sliced hot dogs. (laughs) Just last March, the brand went viral on TikTok in the UK, and it unveiled a new dish, French fries smothered in soft-serve ice cream, drizzled in chocolate sauce, and then topped with coconut shavings. So So this is a place I've I've never heard of before, but... uh... I just found it kind of reassuring
0: that this is a Philippi, uh, Philippines found fast food brand
1: that Americans aren't the
0: only like stunt food type. Not <laughs> type at all. Thing.
1: And uh, the, the <clears throat> Filipino food that I've had in the past has been amazing. They love Really great comfort food, and so oh, there's a lot of like rice-based things, meat and and eggs and and stuff. So I, uh, after reading this article, I went on to YouTube and saw some. Um, we're eating the entire menu from Jollibee, uh, and and Jollibee. So has, you have you heard of this place before? I've heard of Jollibee, okay. but I didn't know because you said much it was about. such. A, you said the name with such a confidence that I was like, oh, maybe oh. I'm the only one who's never heard <laughs> no. of this. I I've never been to one. Uh, they've got thirty five hundred restaurants around the world and or in the Philippines and five thousand other yeah they're they're all over the place. there's some more in the United States, but this is definitely the one first one coming into the Portland metro area Wow and uh, so they've got a really f- uh diverse menu of very comforty very good foods and so I awesome. watched this guy eat through the seat <laughs> like they ordered all the things and then he tastes each one and, uh, Oh, there's so a lot of really great pork things. It tastes like bacon and, and, uh, like, uh, Corned beef hash and and things like that. It just uh, I real, think real all delicious. restaurants
0: should should offer like a sampler. Like that. I think that's why I like buffets so much because like I'm brave enough <clears throat> to try something new, knowing that there's always something I can go back to if I don't like it.
1: This and I'm was, not wasting the money. This was always my complaint about the bite of Portland, is. Uh, The Bite of Portland was a a event down the waterfront and they have all the carts and restaurants and and everything. And they only sold like really big meals. And I'm like, (laughs) no, no, no. You see the name? It says The Bite of Portland. What I want is like $1 sampler of like two mouthfuls from every restaurant. And so that I can eat a hundred things or, or make it like
0: at the mall where they just wander around with toothpicks and like you get to just pick for free all this stuff right all this right. stuff you taste. know
1: pay ten dollars and you get in and you get all the things or whatever uh and they always like here's your mac and cheese <laughs> bowl you know and you're like now i have eaten one thing which was awesome that i can't have anything else and so yeah uh, and so that was always terrible uh they they definitely needed like little small samplers yeah uh, uh, to the masses to get oh you know cast the net wide it's the bite wow not, we not need to get a hold of someone there because that's <laughs> that's just
0: such a missed opportunity for yeah. everyone i think yeah. <laughs> all right well there had been a shocking result in a particle experiment that could sparks a spark a physics revolution it was a measurement that first is the first conclusive experimental result that is at odds with one of the most important and successful theorems of modern physics. The team has found that the particle, known as a W boson, is more massive than theories predicted. The result has been described as shocking by Professor David Toback, who is the project's co-spokesperson discovery, could lead to a development of a new, more complete theory of how the universal, the universe works. So there was something called the Fermilab Collider Detector in Illinois has found a tiny difference in the mass of a W boson compared with a theory that says it should be, um, with the size it should be by 0.1% if that's confirmed the implications are enormous the so-called standard model of particle physics has predicted the behavior of and properties of subatomic particles with no discrepancies whatsoever for 50 years until for 50 years until this until now until now so right now the standard model can't explain the presence of invisible material like dark matter or the continued accelerating accelerating expansion of the universe uh or it and nor can it explain gravity so it does note that this uh the the outcome of this experiment is different than two others that they have done that confirm the standard model so they're obviously gonna have to go back to this and retest it to see if they get the same thing because um it is still in the minority of uh results that they've gotten with this type of experiment so the large hadron collider uh will restart the experiments after a three-year upgrade the result is that the hope is that it will provide the results which will lay the foundations for a new complete theory of physics Hmm. it's still man when we talked about the that um the hadron collider and it was right when they were going to smash the two particles and people were theorizing about what they're going to do and they had this two scientists that were coming from completely different sides and either way one of them would be proved long and like, their life's work would be shown as like a sham and I both of just watching both of them say it will be hard you know because that would be a huge bummer but that's what has to happen and to be like right. man can I like as much as i as much energy as i put on to my own beliefs and the own the way that i've seen things am i willing to be that dispassionate when it comes to new information and of course i am not right <laughs> but they are an inspiration to me <laughs> in the <laughs> in the uh abstract i guess
1: <laughs> uh so banksy land banksy land portland uh It's at the Factor Building. Uh, Banksy Land is an international touring exhibition that immerses audience in the works of the world's most infamous and elusive artist, Banksy. The first ever Portland exhibit features more than 70 artworks, including authenticated original studio works, salvaged street works, and never-before-seen immersive installations of southeast Portland's iconic Factor Building experience the mystique and cultural impact of the most sought after artist of our time live and in person. So there is a page on, uh, Banksy's website that purports, uh, there's currently like 95 different, um, exhibits going on in the world that are not authorized. Uh, it doesn't specifically list Portland. Uh, it lists, uh, others from around the world i don't think that the portland one raised to the level to be listed on <laughs> on the banksy website yeah but, i've
0: seen some people uh, post some pictures from there and say it was really neat and uh i i do enjoy me some banksy yeah so if you are a person that wants to go see that which i think would be neat that goes through may 8th at wherever the factor building is
1: factor building, no idea there so the, this is is a new trend that we're seeing, like the Van Gogh exhibits. So there's 15 different companies that are putting on Van Gogh exhibits like what we see in Portland. And there's no official tie to the Van Gogh Foundation and and Amsterdam or or anything. And, um, And so what they're doing is they're taking art that is accessible to the you know like it, it's not copywritten it's uh public domain and creating an immersive experience out of it by an immersive experience for the Van Gogh things are we have these huge walls in this area and we put a bunch of projectors together and create an an immersive experience which means all the walls around you have uh dynamic projected art on on them and there's literally 15 different companies doing this they all have slightly different names and (laughs) and none of you know it's uh the van gogh experience or or experience van gogh and you know and they're all just slightly different and i found a web page that had like the key to decipher all of them. There's like three companies that are doing these five wow. and doing these things, and this company's doing one in Portland, and and uh, because it's super confusing. And so I'm wondering if there's my my latest conspiracy theory about everything <laughs> is that these um, like not hedge funds, but but like uh, private equity firms are really driving all of our life right now. Uh, And so I think private equity firms are are investing in things like this. Like I could start a company and do this experience and the amount of labor to do it is probably $10,000. But it can be an installation that lasts three months long at $100 a head, we will make... Uh, you know, $150,000 a month. And right. so a private equity firm was like, yes, I want that. And so they'll lay down a million dollars or whatever, yeah, yeah whatever yeah. they'll lay down the $10,000 to do the stuff and reap the reward. And <clears throat> I feel like the housing market is being manipulated by private equity. I feel like so many things are just a product of greed and capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> what and and ironically how dare you banksy land is becoming the same thing and it's the most ironic because his art specifically points at that and says uh you know capitalism is the downfall of and uh and so the the original banksy land installation with the uh, or dystopian land or there was one that i forget yeah Yeah. oh yeah that's right yeah and he did that with it was like a disneyland but they they twisted it and and everything that's right that's Uh, right yeah so so uh go there with a grain of salt and um yeah we so we bought tickets to it and then we went to vegas instead Uh, okay (laughs) so we we ended up not going there because we uh chose a greater capitalist uh opportunity to to spend our <laughs> money on. go to las vegas <laughs> <Right>. yeah
0: <laughs> well there's a story that i even cut down that's still even longer so i'll try to just get the gist of it and it's portland general electric moves to condemn the property at willamette falls intensifying a tribal dispute i didn't anticipate kind of all of that now that i'm paying attention to all this since we've been following on the show what's kind of been going on and so not only is is portland general electric and the power plant and the state of oregon and all that involved but the reason a lot of this has also been taking so long is because there's five different native american tribes that all have access to the falls for their uh, cultural stuff and to and to do some fishing and stuff like that and within that group they're not coming to agreement on some things. And the Grand Ronde tribe is the one that's kind of holding holding off on, on making some decisions there, which is also interesting because the Grand Ronde is the one that's currently demolishing the, the paper mill that's there. And so a lot of the holdup, it seems like on the one side is because um, the tribes are still kind of arguing within themselves um and then grand ron also has is is in the midst of uh taking down the paper mill there's going to be a next phase of demolition um when let's see and which will take about seven to eight weeks so they're going to do a next phase of different uh demolition for the paper mill itself so it just sounds like there's so many hands involved with trying to do this and everyone trying to do the right thing. And I, the other tribe said that PGE has been working in good faith and like, it's not like the man is holding everything up, but then some stories we'll read where it's the man holding things up. So it just sounds like a big mess where they're trying to make so many different entities happy that, that it's kind of grinding to a halt. So it's both going forward and going backwards at the same time. So. Mm. Anyway, well, an audit found that issues with the Portland Police Bureau's surveillance practices uh, happened during the 2020 protests. They found officers collected information about political activity without providing evidence a crime had been committed. The audit also found that the criminal intelligence. U- Intelligence Unit did not limit access to the reports and kept them longer than they were supposed to be. They're only supposed to be kept for 30 days. The auditors reviewed 40 police reports related to racial justice, the racial justice protest, and 33 uh, CIU, which is the Criminal Intelligence Unit reports. In five of the 40 reports, auditors found officers collected personally identifiable information, such as political, religious, or social views, without documenting any criminal activity. For, uh, for instance, one officer reported protest- recorded protesters with his personal cell phone. The officer said the video was for his personal use. Mm-hmm. In other examples, officers took photos of protesters, video of organizers, recorded license plate information, and saved photos and videos posted to social media without indicating any suspected criminal activity. In six instances, audience Auditors found the criminal intelligence unit kept information about demonstrators longer than the 30 days. And uh, the reason why this is concerning, not only are they doing that against citizens that aren't doing anything wrong, keeping their name in the systems will allow other people to access those names and information, such as searches commonly conducted during routine traffic stops. So you get stopped for a traffic thing, and oh, look, there's There you are at the Portland protests. Mm. Um, So they say the existence of that information can raise the risk for people named in the reports. For example, during a traffic stop, an officer sees a potential participated in a Black Lives Matter protest or played anti-police music since they were taking video. So the Portland Police Chief Chuck Lovell wrote A new directive, not a new direction, a new directive (laughs) regarding criminal intelligence will address the overall concerns expressed by the report. So, perfect. sounds like a detailed plan. We're taking a new directive. (laughs) Yeah, I saw and I don't know the name of the candidate right now, but there is one of those that I think we mentioned it many times on the show. I should make a post about this where during election season everyone promises a new direction like there's some ladies like oregon needs a new direction and somebody (laughs) uh, rick emerson pointed out years and years and years ago that a new direction sounds like a nude erection (laughs) and so whenever i see it it's so funny and to slip like there's some people that are in on the joke and so like i'll make i'll say things with new direction in it and <laughs> during speeches and like laugh to ourselves and that's so that's an, always a fun bingo game to play is which d- candidate is going to say we need a new direction, new direction. and dang nabbit we do What's, wasn't that the name of the band in glee as well yeah, they did, yeah they, it yeah, was and like we couldn't direction. quite figure out if that was on purpose yeah, or not totally was on purpose. okay <laughs> Well, finally, an employee's unwanted birth. This is a story that I I love this story. I, I love this story, which is why I'm still going to read it, even though I, several red flags have pointed to the new direction that this may be a a uh, a fake a fake news story. The first was that um, it was all squished together into one paragraph. Uh, And there's a couple other interesting missing tidbits that that would anyway, but an employee's unwanted birthday party nets him $450,000 after a lawsuit against a Kentucky company. So before his birthday in August 2019, an employee at a Kentucky based laboratory asked his office manager to not arrange a celebration for his birthday something I wish we can all ask restaurants to do upon checking in. Please do not sing happy birthday at me,
1: because
0: <laughs> that is my worst nightmare. Uh, it wasn't the fear of getting older, but rather anxiety disorder that can spur panic attacks and stressful situations. The employee did not want a celebration because, quote, being the center of attention could trigger Iowa's his disorder. social services Sorry, has the been time. fired. Oh. There you go. Sorry. So it must be we're hearing we're hearing. I'm just getting this in. We're hearing from other sources that the story
1: may have a kernel of reality. It, it's posted in the Associated Press. So okay. So it's real.
0: But it, it is missing something though that maybe, I don't know. So um when the company th- threw him a lunchtime party against his wishes. It triggered a panic attack and he left abruptly to spend his break in the car. Four days later, after his office managers confronted him about his reaction to the party, he was fired from the Northern Kentucky Company. He eventually sued the company called Gravity Diagnostics and he got $450,000. Julie Brazil, the founder and chief operating officer of Gravity Diagnostics claimed it was the other employees who were victimized quote my employees de-escalated the situation to get the plaintiff out of the building as quick as possible while removing his access to the building alerting me and sending out security to remind uh that he could not get back in the building so So what's missing
1: from this is so here's what i think would happen is a couple days before his birthday he tells his boss hey don't throw me a party okay they throw the party he arrives at the party And probably gets heated of like, why the fuck? I I told you, I don't, right? Which then triggers everybody of, oh, he's going to be violent and pull out a gun, right? And so they get him out of the building because he's mad. And he goes and eats his lunch in the car. And the next day, his manager's, call him in and we're like what happened and and this other article they say you you stole your coworker's joy and you're being <laughs> a little holy shit can we sue for that <laughs> and you're being a little girl right oh, no. and so they call they they call him names make fun of him and so he has a second panic attack in that meeting and has and they say take a couple days off. You're freaking out, and then they sent him an email a couple days later saying, "Hey, why don't you just not come back to work because of the events of this last week? We don't want to work with you anymore." And so he got fired over those events uh, of stuff. Uh, and so uh, he took him to and and they awarded right, him a hundred right. hundred thousand dollars for 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 back pay and uh $350,000 for like ongoing distress that that yeah. caused.
0: Embarrassment, humiliation, mortification and loss of self-esteem is what that says. And being so a yeah. So, I just girl. spend it. <laughs> for stealing someone's just joy. Stealing their joy. That's why yeah, it didn't not it didn't exp- it, it, it it doesn't sound like any of this really explained the actual behavior he was removed for. This article is just like, right. he asked to not have a party and then said, hey, why are you having a party? And I'm gonna leave. And like, then they fired him and everybody's yeah. all traumatized.
1: Clearly he freaked out when they threw the party. Yeah, right. Clearly he did and- Right,
0: well, yeah, they don't really explain the, right. the manifestation of the type of panic attack. I guess so.
1: But he I'm sure he lashed out. I bet he called Nancy a bad name and <laughs> like, you know, and all the things and and so everybody had their joy stolen. And your casserole uh, sucks, <laughs> Susan. <laughs> exactly. And I'm not just having a case the Mondays. Uh, <laughs> and so um yeah, and so by the way, wow. we, um I it's, it's Nick, my, my husband, Nick, had lied to me and told me that he had seen Waiting for Guffman before because he <laughs> didn't want to be dragged <laughs> through it by me. And so that was years ago. And so recently we were talking about Waiting for Guffman and he's like, I've never seen that. I'm like, oh no, the ruse. So, so um so i uh introduced nick to waiting for guffman the other night and and we walk watched the boy that just it holds up really well it's i so love good. that movie uh it came up because we were talking about Catherine o'hare and, and, and oh yeah and all that it just such brilliant little moments in all her of her playing drunk
0: in that movie is, at the dinner table is the best drunk that i've ever seen anyone act
1: <laughs> Tilly we just so perfect we had a friend who was super anxious and came to a party a small dinner party for there was six of us total and uh us a, a third couple and a second couple right and the second couple was anxious about meeting and having this little dinner party and so she showed up drunk and then just commenced to power drink through the thing and she was the worst version of Catherine O'Hare being <laughs> drunk in Waiting for Guffman of just slurry and weird and awkward and don't tell him, you, you know, well, I, I I could have a vagina enlargement. You know, just <laughs> that kind of awkwardness. Uh, and, and so all of that got brought out. And so th- there's a million great moments in that movie and it was great i haven't seen it in several years and and it was just great wow, Re- yeah. Rewatch it the other night
0: so i'm just noticing something interesting i think a long time ago i i muted my microphone because i coughed
1: okay and i
0: think i forgot to unmute it nice. but you can still hear me somehow and my levels still appear to be on screen yeah but i'm now, can you hear me or not? Can- I can well, hear see, you. Now my, yeah, you. Now my microphone's back on, so I'll just leave it on.
1: <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> who knows what will happen? Who not knows what will happen? I, I can hear you fine. And this is recording just fine on our side, yeah. so we're fine. All right. uh, so, yeah. All right.
0: Well, yeah, that does it for the news. Um, and I was trying to think of a topic. I knew that our news would not- notify our affiliates that we may run long. Uh, so I didn't want to do something super long. And I remembered watching something on a show that you recommended on Netflix called Explained. Mm, and I think I show. might have kind of mentioned the one that I watched, kind of an overview before, but I, I rewatched it and wanted to get into it again because I found it so fascinating. And that's, it was um,
1: about music. One of the and best episodes on Explained. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. And it's Brilliant. so good. And um, interesting to me as someone who isn't a huge music person but um but going into it what fascinates me about it that that we'll get into more is that music and and the elements of use your brain in a way that doesn't happen in the rest of of um the animal kingdom and while we always think of music as obvious it's just repetitious sound or whatever that um there is something that does switch off in your brain when certain things happen that engage all those things at once. So it's kind of neat how they broke it down. So I kind of wanted to go over that. Cool. Um, music clearly is sound, but it's uh, when it reaches a certain amount of repetition, it flips that switch into our brain to think of it as music. And it can help people relearn how to speak. It can strengthen memory. It can help uh, with stuttering. There's a guy um, in my mom and dad's uh, Church, who is a, a heavy, heavy, heavy stutterer, but can sing just fine. James Earl Jones, Jones, the voice of Darth Vader, terrible, terrible stutter. but when he is when he acts, that's not technically music, but the way he remembers it is through music and then is able to not stutter anymore. It helps with movement disorders. like if you have Parkinson's, it can help your help your movement. Wasn't um,
1: Conway Twitty or something wasn't there, there oh, was a, I don't know there was a famous singer who had, who was a stutterer and, but you would never know, knowing their songs. I think it was Conway Twitty. Oh, interesting. Could be. Um, and it
0: activates the same parts of the brain as food, drugs, and sex do. And um, so music is culturally universal. We don't know any culture in the history of the planet that has not have. Uh, music involved in fact the instruments have been found to be older than cave painting paintings came around uh, almost 40 uh, 40, 40,000 years ago, and the uh, bone flute has been found uh, for from 42 42, 42,000 years ago. Uh, But, as I say in my notes but he's gay excuse me he's gay he's blind. (laughs) But other primates don't share that because they can't understand rhythm. So what is music? Um, Music is something that of course we're also surrounded by all the time. It's like an element of almost every part of our lives. Even podcasts tend to have music behind them if they're depending on how they're produced. Um, And kind of as I talk about music, there's also a story I'll weave in about this woman named Jen who um, couldn't comprehend music and it's kind of an interesting story because it's a result of uh, an injury she suddenly kind of noticed that she couldn't feel her extremities and it she kind of felt like she had a ghost foot and so she went in and doctors found it was like this um one of the areas of her brain wasn't getting enough blood flow and that was affecting things and so they did surgery on that but after they did that surgery when she woke up from it she didn't understand music. And she said, uh, I couldn't tell there was a melody. It just sounded like white noise or like loud metallic noise and it was sharp. If you can't understand music, it just becomes noise. And she noticed that uh, because she watched Portlandia and she knew the opening song that they did. And she it was a song that she really liked. She knew she liked it, but she was like, it doesn't make sense to me this is wow. just weird noise and it's it's funny because i think we a, when we listen to music that isn't in a genre that we usually listen to or from a country that we're not familiar with their music it does sound just like random noise until your brain kind of starts to figure out oh this is the kind this is finally the rhythm this is and it kind of all comes together like one of those magic eye paintings where (laughs) your brain just clicks into oh there's the rhythm and there's the beat and um so listening to music you listening to and making music draws on the different faculties and it um those different faculties do are parts of the brains of other animals and and mammals but the animals, mammals can't use those things in conjunction. So like our brainstem and cerebellum, which is that back little bottom lobe thing that we see in the brain, that helps us create the rhythm and pattern to walk. And of course, animals can walk and do all that. But what's rare is our ability to feel a beat, a tempo, you know, the beats per minute, and predict that like if a metronome is going, or like when we do our sync clap, one, two, three, clap, we both know to, predictively clap on the same beat. Um, That is super rare. Uh, The rhesus monkey or the macaque can't do that. Even after training, monkeys always seem to react to the beat that they're given instead of predicted. It's always just a little bit behind. Um, Feeling that beat requires a strong connection between the parts of the brain that are rare in the animal world. Uh, So we thought, well, no animals can do this. But in 2009, a scientist saw a video equivalent of a 2009 TikTok video of a some sort of cockatiel dancing to doing their stupid cockatiel dance to the Backstreet Boys and then like got invited onto Ellen and kind of was like a little media sensation and so they tested that bird named Snowball. He was dancing to the Backstreet Boys song, but could he dance to it in the same way if they slowed that song down or sped it up? And it turned out that he could, and it was the first experimental evidence that an animal could move to a beat and change that when the tempo changes. Uh, And That's not just in birds. A Roman the seal was the first non-human mammal to be able to do it. But a bonobo monkey, which is our closest evolutionary relative, can recognize that there's a beat, but they can't tell. They said they can recognize it's a beat, but they can't tell if they can synchronize to it. And I don't know why they can't just do the same tests on that monkey that they did on a seal on a cockatiel. But for whatever reason. Every white man. (laughs) I know. I kept thinking that. Uh, Um, Beats, of course, are only one part of a music, if that, I liked how they, they said, if a beat goes fast enough, our ears recognize it as pitch, Hmm. Um, and other animals can perceive pitch, but humans and other animals have the same neurons that will activate at the, at the exact same frequency of the sound coming in, playing multiple things uh, is harmony, and almost all cultures recognize that there's something special about harmony. For instance, like if there's a man and a woman singing the same note, it's often in a different octave than each other, but we humans have always noticed that those frequencies line up in a very satisfying way. Um, and we've all taken an octave, that octave range, and split it up into different increments. Some of them, we do eight uh, eight notes in our octave, but other cultures have different, different numbers of, of in-betweens for that octave, but we all... We all notice those octaves. Um, We can recognize a melody played in two different keys, but with birds, while you can train them to recognize melody A from melody B, if you take those same melodies and like pitch them up uh, a note or a key, birds have no idea that's the same thing. So they can hear that same melody in a different pitch or a different key but at, they have to relearn it like it's a brand new thing that they've never heard before huh. um, which is also super strange um, many animals are wired for maybe one or two of those things so like a bird can feel a beat but not recognize a pitch monkeys can re- recognize an octave again how do they realize that but they can't do the predictive beat thing is on me monkeys can recognize that octave but not feel a beat fireflies and crabs can sync up with each other there's a video of like crabs like poking their uh, tiny teeny, tiny sand crabs like poking their claws at just out of the sand and like clapping them back and forth and the fireflies above them are like pulsating and they're like all at the same time which is really really freaky um, but they can only do that on one tempo. They like can't speed up or slow down and and do the same thing. Um, only humans can put all of this together to make music. And when we do it, it really triggers emotion in us. Unless you are from my background, which <laughs> <laughs> there is no emotion. Maybe that's why I don't like music, is because I don't have the emotion equivalent have of the brain a heart. <laughs> <laughs> To put it all together, (laughs) Um, but still there's differences, even though uh, culturally as humans, we all share this, there's still differences, Western, the Western music and European music, we see major scales as like the happy scales, but there's other cultures like those in Bali that see them as sad and those are like the funeral and cremation songs. and that's just mostly learned culture, just because that's kind of what we've been doing. And I have this example of a composer named Montavari, who lived in the 1600 and he wrote a song, uh, a lament song, and it just had this descending, dun 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 dun, like over and over through the through the um, through the whole song, and we can still hear that pattern in modern music like hit the road jack and right. while my guitar, my guitar gently reap it's that same and so we culturally associate that whether we learn it i mean that's just the air we breathe and so we don't our brains recognize that even if our uh cognitive uh cognitively we don't um music connects so many different abilities that it's hard to lose the sense of music. Only 1.5 people are born without, with having trouble differentiating pitches, which is known as tone deafness, and even fewer have trouble identifying a beat. And I think I think both of those groups of people, while small, many of them went to the church I grew up in. <laughs> they could not hear a pitch and they could not stay on beats. <laughs> and losing the memory perception um, of it is almost unheard of, which is why the story of that gen is so uh, interesting. So because the parts of her brain weren't putting that together, weren't being fed, she wasn't able to completely put that puzzle together altogether. Um, but after a few weeks, her brain healed and readjusted. And she could finally hear music again, but she couldn't make it she was a DJ. And so she then couldn't she could understand like how to make it, but like not why something would work or if two things went together. um, And eventually she did recover all that. And now DJ is under the name Toki Monster, Uh, if you want to look her up. But just a fascinating way to be able to look at losing an ability, you think, like how is that even an ability to recognize music and how our brains put that together kind of without our knowledge. Um, Gabby Giffords, who is a U.S. congressman who was um, uh, famously shot a long time ago uh, in the head, had to relearn how to speak because that part of her brain was wrecked. The other side of the brain, which is the one that kind of processes music, she could learn if it was a song. So she would learn how to speak using that part of the brain which then compensated and then learned and became her speech center. But all of these people that do um, like physical body therapy through music, like the Parkinson's people, people, I've seen people who were on their deathbed, unable to speak and move. And if you play music from when they were a child, they will sometimes start dancing or sometimes sing that. Like that's, I always hear that growing up too. The last thing that like the grandfather did was sing amazing grace or, you know, how great thou art. Like that music and like, I work with kids music is what you do to get them to learn 26 random things in a row, like the alphabet. Exactly. (laughs) We can't do that without
1: music. And it's just fascinating how that's linked to memory like that. Did that uh, little mini documentary talk about the connection with uh, major chords being happy, quote unquote, and minor chords being sad at all?
0: a little bit uh and maybe you can expand on that but that was kind of in the in just the western association yeah. of those major and minor minor chords just because of how we were how we were raised to hear it that way whereas mm-hmm. other people are always like well no no that's
1: that's very sad e- exactly and um there's been some research and there are some examples uh counter examples of Sad songs that are major key and uh, happy songs that are minor key in in Western society. There are a couple of those, uh, like Billie Holiday's No Good Man is Mm. uh, a sad major key song. And Van Morrison's Moon Dance is a minor key song that's super happy and upbeat and and, uh, alive. But there are whole societies where uh, we have been programmed that minor key music is a dirge and yeah, and yeah. and drives more uh ten- tension and, and sadness and for some reason because i thought about that a lot like why why do we inst
0: like what i thought instinctively because we we do but not on a human level i guess yeah and i thought maybe it's just how the waves matched up maybe right. there's some dissonance that we don't like or right. i guess it's just all cultural
1: yeah uh I, I think that kind of we found that groove and we went deep into it, but there's a different groove that's possible and other yeah. cultures go deep into that. And so, yeah, uh, yeah, it's, it's an interesting phenomenon. Um,
0: Let's see, what else do we have here? Our brains also register the beat in our nervous system, which enables people to move in ways they wouldn't be able to without it, which is a lot of what that therapy does. Um, it also mentioned the Mozart and Beethoven for babies craze, where we were all forcing our children to listen to classical music because it's going to make them geniuses. And music will help your language center, and like it does help your brain. But it's any music; it's not clearly there's no special power that that classical music has uh, over everything else. But yeah, there's a lot of advantages to it. It brings us together, listening in groups. Um, it, it connotates coordination which means survival to us it's very um tapping into all those emotions like church singing and concerts and listening to music with friends and groups and and all of that so they say the research into music is still in its infancy but um, they're hoping to unlock more which is an exciting thing about being able to to study our brains uh more with the technology that we have but to unlock these things that we just think that we are either just born with it and it's not but we are born with it compared to other animals or other creatures. It still trips me out that birds can't transpose. It's like what? Right. Like what's going on there? You're the ones that sing. Like <laughs> I get it if an alligator can't do it, but like that's what you do. Yeah. You're you're the singing ones. Um so that's anyway, right. yeah, super interesting. It's called uh, Explained on Netflix. We've talked about it a couple times before, but they have um quite a few shows up it's been a while since i've i've been back peeked into netflix and it looks like they have a couple more seasons when when i first tapped in so definitely go go and check that out they're quick and easy
1: uh to have yeah the, this was each this episode was 15, is like 15 20 minutes long yeah, and yeah they all concentrate on a single uh phenomena or, or idea you know everything from uh plastic surgery and billionaires and money and dogs and, but each one i found incredibly well done there. And they're each narrated by a different famous person. Yeah. This one was narrated by Carly Rae Jepsen. I'm like, Oh, well, <laughs> call her maybe
0: to do a voiceover. She <laughs> did the call me maybe song. Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Nate uh, Heath is
0: out there laughing, although he's not because that joke was not funny
1: at all. <laughs> <laughs> nick always uh is able to identify the narrator uh way before me oh
0: funny yeah he's got he that's what he was special power he was born <laughs> with music wise totally. is able to recognize that all right well that's all for now it'll be interesting to see which half of this show i actually had my microphone on for <laughs> but as long as it sounds it's, good all, over it's there. all
1: recorded on here <laughs> Anyway, well,
0: thank you Mark for making the time mm-hmm. to chat with me. It's always a pleasure and thank you for those of you left still listening. We are bleeding listeners. <laughs> so thank you to those of uh, those of you who are still there um other than that, I don't have anything. We did Portland at the movies last week. We discussed um, one of our Marley Matlin movies that was—I do you remember the name. It was called.
1: Um, it was where
0: the truth lies. Where the truth lies. So uh, go check that out. Uh, we had the Unipiper on with uh, us for that. Other than that, I'll take you out with um, something or other, cool. probably about music. All nice. right. Talk to you later. Bye.